0: Truly excited about what I'm going to share with you today. I believe it's going to be not only insightful, but throughout the course of the message, I believe it's one of those services where the Holy Spirit is going to uh, prod you. If you don't know what that means, it means you get really weird feelings on the inside uh, while I'm speaking, and uh, and I just want to encourage you to respond to the Holy Spirit. If you have to stand. Certainly, don't feel like it's an interruption. I want to pray for you specifically because there's going to be very key points where I know the Lord is going to specifically deal with some issues that maybe are hidden within our hearts. And the way that he does it is not with condemnation. He comes with a gentleness and a grace and a sense of mercy. And uh, when you sense the Holy Spirit is doing that, feel free to respond accordingly. We're going to continue on this series, Encountering Jesus, and I must say personally, this has been a true pleasure really diving into some of the encounters that people had with Christ. You know, it's something that we have access to every single day of our life, and because we have that access, sometimes it comes, becomes commonplace in our life where we truly don't remember what it was really like to encounter Jesus for the very first time. In week number one, we talked about this guy of Nathaniel, and he said a statement when Jesus approached him, or when they approached him about Jesus, they said, could any, he said, could anything good come from Nazareth? Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a small town in a stable, then he went to a town called Nazareth to live his life, and Jesus, I think God was showing us in the scope of humanity, man, I want you to know, I'm not bringing Jesus through the highest level of uh, uh, royalty and government. No, I'm going to bring them to the lowliest of places and that's where salvation's going to come from. In week number two, we talked about the woman who was caught in adultery. She literally was caught in the act and they threw her before Jesus and a bunch of Pharisees. And Jesus said these words to her, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. In week number three, last week we talked about the woman at the well. This was a Samaritan woman that Jesus shouldn't have even been speaking to her. She had a past, five husbands, and the one that she was with was not her husband. And yet Jesus offered her life, and she turned a city upside down because of one encounter. And so today we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. I want to read it in its fullness, and then we'll break it down and see what the Lord has to say to us this morning. It's a familiar passage for many of you who know about the, the... the walkings of Jesus, and I think when I read it, you'll begin to go, man, I remember that one, and I want to encourage you to look at yourself in two places, the woman and the Pharisee that welcomed Jesus into his home, and I want you to see maybe where you might be today. It says this in verse number 36, it says, then one of the Pharisees had asked him to eat with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed his feet and she anointed them with fragrant oil now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this he spoke to himself saying these words now listen to this this man if he were a prophet would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner and Jesus answered and said to him Simon I have something to say to you and he said to him said to Jesus, "Teacher, say on. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him more?" Simon answered and said, "I suppose the one whom he forgave more." And he said to him, "You are right; you have rightly judged." And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon. Now think about this. He turned to the woman, but he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil therefore I say to you her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much but to whom little is forgiven the same loves little and then he said to these words your sins are forgiven and those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves bunch of chickens isn't it Bunch of cowards, says, who is this that he even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this woman that we're speaking of, historically, from what I've researched and studied, is Mary that was a sister of Martha. That was part of Lazarus' story. And so I want you to think about this woman, this situation that we're talking about actually was a three days journey in a place called Galilee, which is about three miles away from Mary's home in Bethany. And more than likely, she came prepared. Mary had seen and she had heard or heard of Jesus before she came to this Pharisee's house. There's no reason as to why she was there, but she knew about Jesus and she wanted to encounter him. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36 and 37, it says these words, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house. I find this to be very intriguing, that Simon, a Pharisee, wanted Jesus to come and dine with him. But as we look at the, the whole story, we realize that the, the Pharisee wasn't fully intent on receiving what Jesus had to say. He was about to just kind of fill this Jesus out. And it says that he sat down. I just want to stop there for a moment because I think it's great that we go places. I think it's great that you go into atmospheres where the world is and where you can influence the world, but many times the reason why Jesus was with sinners, with prostitutes, with tax collectors is because when he entered into an environment, he influenced that environment. And many of us don't. Many of us go into situations and we, are not in, we, are, we do not influence them They actually influence us. And so it's important to understand about Jesus that when he went places, he went there because he had something to bring to that situation. In verse 37, it says, Behold, a woman in the city who was a what? I want you to see that phrase right there because we all have a reputation, And this woman had a reputation that she was known in this city as, that is the woman who is a sinner. We don't know exactly what she has done. We don't know exactly the sins that she committed, but we do know this, that she had a reputation. So the people who knew her, knew her as, that's the sinner. And reputations are hard to change, aren't they? There's a a pressure that we face of what others think about us, is that, Man, that person knows I'm divorced, and so we, we think everybody sees us as, oh, they're the divorced person, or they're the person that did that when they were in their past, or that, that's the drunkard, or that's the one that committed adultery, or that's the person that has an anger issue, and so we have these reputations that are placed upon us, and it's a pressure that we all now have to live with. She was someone who was known for the wrong that she did, rather than the one or the things that she did right, she had a reputation as a sinner. The reason why that's important is because that's who Jesus reaches. That is still who Jesus goes after. He is the one who is going after the one who has the reputation. He's going after the one who doesn't feel like I'm qualified, doesn't feel like I'm deserving of Christ. And Jesus goes, that's who I came for. That's who Jesus reaches. It's those who know they are in great need of his grace and his mercy. And isn't it interesting, as we get saved, we start to drift away from that need that we believe we have. And I want to show you through this story, this encounter that Jesus had, how many of us have drifted away from this place of thanksgiving, in this place of, God, I was so undeserving, but you came and you met me, To a place of, I'm better than them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe it's going to be on the screen, Nico. Yes, it is. It says, where is the wise? And where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Skip about five verses. You can read them when you have a chance. It says this in verse 26. For you see... You're calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. I want you to realize that God is not calling the good-looking ones. He's not calling the ones that have a successful business. He's not calling the entertainers that have a big platform. He's not calling those who think they're, they're wise or the, 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 uh, the psychologist or the... Um, What's that uh, in college? Philosophers, he's not calling those. He's not calling those who think they have it all figured out. He is calling the lowly. He is calling the ones who are not wise, the ones who are not mighty, the ones who are not noble. Look at 27. But God has chosen the foolish things. Doesn't that wound your ego at times? Like you've been chosen by God. Who did he choose? He chose the foolish things of this world... To put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And God chose the base things of the world. And the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So I find it laughable at times where we go back to God and go, God, you got the wrong guy that you called. He goes, No, 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 no. Let me just show you who I'm calling. The foolish things, the weak things, the base things, the despised one, that's who God chose. And why? So that no flesh would glory in his presence. I want you to know that no matter what type of reputation somebody else's has, and you think it's worse than yours, I want you to know that he chose you because you were that girl. You were that sinner. You were that one that did not deserve his grace. You did not deserve his mercy. You did not deserve him actually giving you an ounce of time, and yet he died for every single one of us. And it's that very foundation of knowing that I was that girl. I was the one that committed adultery. I was the one that was a sinner. I was the one that broke God's law. It's realizing that, that I'm qualified to be what? Chosen. Chosen. I'm qualified for the calling of God that is on my life. Why? Because I fit into that category. I was the foolish one, the weak one, the base one, the despised one. In verse 38 of Luke chapter 7, we'll continue on. Nico says this, and, he, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping. I just want to point out something historically. is Back in the day, they had little couches. So you didn't sit at a table and just dine with somebody and your feet were on a chair. No, you actually rested on a couch and your legs were on the, on the end of that couch. So you were literally eating with your elbow holding you up and eating your food. And so she's at the edge of this couch and it says this, that she was weeping I just want to get you a, give you a picture of this encounter because it's easy to move past some of these details. But this is them, a Pharisee welcomed Jesus into their home, a reputation of a woman who was a sinner, and what was she doing? Interrupting the whole meal. You know what it's like to, to, to weep? Anybody ever weep before? <laughs> it's embarrassing. Uh, the whole attention, everything is on you. You can't do much until that person stops weeping. And she was weeping. And it says this, and she began to wash his feet with her tears. I wrote here, and I wanted to make sure I wrote it, is the tears were a response to something. It was a response where his presence and her sin met. And what happened? She wept. She felt and she was in the presence of God. She was in the presence of Jesus and she knew who she was and yet all that came from Jesus was nothing but love. Think about that. She wasn't weeping because she was wicked. She wasn't weeping because she didn't belong there. She was weeping because she felt his presence and yet she still was a sinner. And tears were falling down and it says that she began to wash His feet with her tears and then she wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with a fragrant oil. I want you to keep this picture for a moment because something happens over time is that this is maybe the way that we start with Jesus but over time we no longer have any of those responses. That he no longer gets our tears. He no longer gets our our, our weeping at his presence. He no longer gets us anointing him and wanting us to bring certain things to him because something happens over time. In verse 39, look at this phrase. It says something interesting. It says, now, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. He said these words. Man, if this man, if he were a prophet would know who in what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Do you know what he just did? He judged Jesus, and he judged this woman. And how many of have drifted into that place where we say things like this, man, if God were good, why would he allow this? Man, if he truly loved me, Why would he let me go through what I'm going through? Man, if God really knew what they did to me, he wouldn't be. He wouldn't allow that to happen. And if he really understood what I was going through, man, if you know what, if God was really in control, and what we do is we now start to judge the one who is the potter. And the clay now looks at the one who is the potter and said, if you were really whatever it is that you say you are, then this is not how I would experience life. And then what happens on the the end of that tale is that you judge other people. That he made a statement, she is a sinner. What is judgment? I want you to hear these words, please, because it happens in here first. And just because we don't verbalize it doesn't mean that God goes, oh, what are you doing in your heart toward other people? It is labeling somebody based upon your ignorance of who you used to be and comparison to someone else. And so we label somebody, we go, there's such a, I was thinking, bleep hole, <laughs> jerk, uh, there's such evil, wicked person. I don't care who it is. Put it, Put somebody in your mind and we have finished that phrase off with somebody about somebody we know. Maybe it's in the political realm. Maybe it's in, it's in, it's in, it's in, it's in our, our family. There's such a... And we take a place of going, I can now bring judgment upon them. Why? Because they did this and I therefore compare them to somebody else and I'm ignorant of my own shortcomings. I can now label them and say there's such a... And what we did is we just... Judge somebody. Father, I thank you for landing. I pray in Jesus' name that the things that you're dealing with him in his heart, Father God, I set them free right now. I thank you that he receives all who he is to you. And Father, thank you for always speaking so kindly to him, for waking him up and showing him the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said it like this. This will not be on the screen, Nico. It says this. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. Please just hear these words. He says, judge not that you be not. It doesn't mean you don't judge behavior. If something's sin, we can call it sin. If something's wicked, we can call it wicked. If our, our, our daughter or our son is dealing with something, we can judge a situation. You can judge certain fruits. You can judge all those things. But when you now label somebody this based upon your ignorance of who you are or where you've come from and comparing them to a certain standard that you uphold, what happens is you have now judged somebody. So judgment is not something that you do to a person. It's a place where you stand in your own heart. What is judgment? It's when you have placed in your own heart that you stand here, and somebody stands here. Why? Because you're a little bit, better than they, and so you can now judge them because you feel like you have a right to do so. And so he says this, Jesus literally said these words, judge not that you be not judged. Now let's see what he says. For with what judgment you judge, or how you judge, you will also be judged. And with the same measure that you use, whatever standard you use, isn't it funny how we long and receive God's grace when we screw up. But when somebody else screws up toward us, we don't want to extend that same grace to them. That same mercy we don't want to extend them. Why? Because we don't believe they deserve it in their own personal life. And yet we're the very ones that say, God, thank you for your grace. Why? Because grace is what? Unfair. Doesn't make sense. And it's never exhausted. Father, thank you for Jess. And I thank you in Jesus' name that whatever it is that, that, that you're, you're working on inside of our heart, I thank you right now, it's done. I thank you that forgiveness comes. I thank you that judgment leads. And that she can see through the eyes and the lens that you see everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at this verse 2 as we continue. Or verse 3, it says, and why do you look? It's easy to look at other people, isn't it? It's easy to assess them. It's easy to wonder why they did that and that they did, whatever it is that they did. It says, why do you look, and I love how Jesus said this, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in your own? Like, why are you looking at that speck? Why? Oh, no, 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 Jesus, that is no speck. Let me tell you, that is not a speck in my brother's eye, that is a plank in my brother's eye. And Jesus says, why do you look at that but don't consider? So what he's saying is that it may not be wrong to look at a speck in your brother's eye because we are accountable with each other. But he says, but you did not consider the plank in your own. Now when I realize I have a plank in my eye, what, how will I address somebody who has a speck? Very differently. Very differently, I will not place judgment upon them, I will be a brother to them, but also I have to be able to receive from them the very plank that I have in my eye that somebody can point that out to me. And boy, do I have a tough time with that, Asked Sarah Kane. She can tell you about that. <laughs> or how can you say to your brother, hey, Ryan, let me remove that speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own. He said, hypocrite, first, remove the plank from your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. As I was putting this message together, I couldn't help but not linger here for a little while. In Luke chapter 18, it says these words, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed thus within himself. And this is where the functional gospel is so big inside of people's hearts. We don't even realize it. Listen to this prayer. This Pharisee was what? He was praying. He was seeking after God. But listen to what his heart did. His heart betrayed him when he said these words. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners the unjust, the adulterers, or even as this tax collector that I see. I fast, what? Twice a week. I give all my tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector stood afar off. And he would so not much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me. A what? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. Now I want you to, we're going to do something in context, so I want you to get that picture of the tax collector and the Pharisee because we drift into a place where we start looking at other people and go, Oh, God, thank you that I'm not like that. But we do it from a place, not of gratitude that we used to be that. We do it from a place of I'm here and they're there and I'm so thankful that I'm farther than they are. And it's in our heart that something gets pulled. It's in our heart that something gets tricked and uh, deceived. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 40. And Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. It's like he was ready, like, oh, man, you're going to prophesy over me? You're going to tell me about my future? You're going to tell me something good? And there's a certain creditor who had two debtors. The one owed 500 and the other owed 50. So just think about your, yourself for a moment of somebody owing you money or you owing somebody money. It said when they had nothing to, with which to repay, he freely what? He freely forgave them both, and he said, tell me now, therefore, Simon, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose, not really wanting to commit, suppose that the one who was forgiven more, and he said to him, you have rightly judged. That word forgiven, and I want you to see this because forgiveness has been so, um, I think, misconstrued over so long. I I just recently with uh, with Sarah's brother-in-law, and he's like, man, I'm just working on trying to forgive something. Forgiveness is a cancellation of a debt that somebody owes you. And here the creditor was owed $550, so when he forgave them, he said, you no longer owe me anything. And I think forgiveness is that very act of going, you no longer owe me apology, you no longer owe me the money that you stole from me, you no longer owe me anything inside my life. I expect no longer anything for you to make up for what you did to me. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness. So forgiveness is not just an emotion, it's not just a feeling, it's not like, oh man, I really don't... No, no, forgiveness is saying, Father, help me to release them. And some of you in this room, I believe that God is going to help you forgive some people, that you still have something ought against them. You're still like, man, I hope I never see them. I hope, you know what, they did me wrong, and I hope they pay for what they did. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they... It's release them from any debt that they owe my way. Father, thank you for veil. And I thank you for freedom right now in Jesus' name. The ability to let go, to forgive. I thank you, Father God, that any pain, hurt, or whatever it is that came as a result of the wrong that was done to her, right now, that debt is canceled. Why? Because you canceled her debt, which was greater. Father, thank you for Tim. Freedom in Jesus' name. Forgiveness comes to your home, Tim. The debt is canceled. Let it be that that debt is completely canceled. They owe you nothing because you owe God nothing in Jesus' name. So forgiven means your debt has been canceled and clear. Realize this, Christ, and I think this is going to be on the screen, Nico. go, Christ fulfilled a law that we could never fulfill. There is a law and a standard that says you must be like this in order for you to have a relationship with God. And Christ says, I will fulfill that law on your behalf because you could never fulfill it. And because we broke that law, we now have a debt toward God. The wages of sin is... Death And so the debt we owe is death. That, that belongs to us. And Christ goes, I'll take that too. So I will pay your debt. I will fulfill the law so that you can now have this relationship with God. We are indebted to that law. Now, I want you to see a passage. And I'm just going to ask briefly. And I don't say this demeaning in any way. Just put your thinking cap on when you see this. Because it might seem like it's, uh, where, where is he going with this? But it's extremely important when it comes to to the context of what we're reading. Romans chapter 7. Is it on there, Nico? I think I put it on there. All right, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? So he's saying, is the law bad? This is after Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5, Romans 6, now Romans 7. He's now responding to, he's writing this chapter, just one chapter, Romans 7, is written to those who are under the law. So this specifically was written to those people who are going, Wait, 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 we love the law, but now you're saying it's bad. He goes, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? No, the law is not sin. The law is not bad. On the contrary, I would not have known sin, except what? Through this righteous law that is holy and perfect. For I would not have known, and I love this, look what he used there. What's that word? Every single thing in the Ten Commandments and the law was external except for one. Thou shalt not... Nobody knows if I'm coveting except what? My own heart. Somebody knows if I stole. Somebody knows if I committed adultery. Somebody knows if I took God's name in vain. But nobody... And this is the one that he brought. He goes, the law even now condemns you internally. And it says this. How would I have not, not have known covetousness? and the law had said you shall not covet? Now when the law says you shall not covet... Sin goes, ooh, this is a great opportunity to do what? Taking opportunity by the commandment to produce in me something. So when we tell Carly, you can't wear that outfit, guess what outfit she wants to wear this morning? Yes, and for 20 minutes, Sin took an opportunity inside of her life, and she freaked out on Sarah and I this morning, on Sunday morning, before we're supposed to preach and do all this Christian stuff. But sin, because we had a rule, no, you're wearing that, it took an opportunity and said, I don't want that. It produced in her all manner of evil desire for an outfit that was dirty, bundled up. It was, it was like, it would have smelled, it would have looked bad, but she wanted it anyways. For apart from the law, sin is what? Dead. So where there is no law, sin is actually dead. Sin has no ability to produce in her life. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment or the law came, what happened? Sin was revived, and I died. So I, am, I have wages that I am to owe God because of the sin that I committed. And so Jesus said, I will now fulfill this law, this perfect and holy law. So this law is not bad, but it reveals something inside of us that Jesus says, I will fulfill that, and I will pay the debt that you owe because of it. And that's what it means is I am what? Forgiven. And I share that because I want you to get the totality of what this is all about. God only accepts, accepts, A-C-C-E-P-T-S, accepts perfection. That's only what a holy, righteous, just God can accept. So he cannot accept any of us unless the law was what? Perfectly up held and jesus was the one who was spotless and he was perfect he fulfilled the law on our behalf so the law does not and cannot produce what it says to do when you see 35 miles an hour who wants to go 34 anybody now you wonder 35 i idle at 35 like come on everything in you wants to do what 36 and 37 somebody said 48 and 52 and 60 well we want we want something opposite of what the law tells so the law doesn't produce a desire to do it it actually just reveals something so the law cannot produce in us the very goodness that it demands rather it only increases the sin inside of us i love what martin luther wrote he said sin is not canceled because you live lawfully For no person is able to live up to the righteous law of God. Nothing can take away sin except the grace and mercy of God. So it is not because you live right that God goes, you're forgiven. No, it's because the law could not be fulfilled. God says, I need a savior to be able to forgive mankind. Are you following me so far? So this is extremely important when we're talking about forgiveness and we're talking about the law, and we're talking about this situation, that we understand the backdrop. Look at Luke seven forty four. But he turned to the woman and he said, Simon, do you see this woman? He's like, of course I do. She's interrupted this whole meal. And he said these words, I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, which is a custom at that time. And she has washed my feet with her tears and she has wiped them with the hair on her head. You gave me no kiss, but the woman that has, has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. I wanted to put here, oftentimes, we fail to recognize Jesus in our day-to-day life. It's just Jesus. It's just, uh, I didn't get to spend time with Jesus today, or I did get to spend time with Jesus, but it's just Jesus. He'll be there tomorrow. He'll be there the next day. He's always with me, never leaves me, never forsakes me, and so what happens is something happened where Simon welcomed Jesus into his home, but he didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And every single morning, we have a gift that God gives us called today. Today. And that today comes with 24 hours in that day. And all I can just hear is the heart of God, not in condemnation, not in guilt, going, do you recognize me during your day? Do you recognize that, you know what, I, you, can't, you can't pour water on my feet, you can't cry tears on my feet or wash my feet, but what you can do is saying, Father, I just recognize you today and I give you all praise for making this day. And I thank you that you're in my life and that you saved me from who I used to be, Father God. And I'll never forget the day that you rescued my life. What I just did is I gave him something back. I recognized that when he entered the day and I entered today, that I I could actually give my Savior something. It's not something of value. I'm not giving him my life for that day and I'll die for you today and I'm going to serve you greatly today. God doesn't want all those functions being the gifts that we give. It's a gift of recognition. It's a gift of realizing that he was on that couch and the Pharisee sat there and goes, if he was really a prophet while she was weeping and crying, why? Because she recognized who she was, who he was, she recognized who she was, and the Pharisee couldn't see it. And we get caught up in this thing called Christianity and this thing called doing the Christian thing that sometimes we forget. I know I do, sometimes I forget what he's done for me. And who he saved me from, myself, my goodness, and and where I would be if he did not rescue my life, if he did not invade me personally when I was 17 years old, I guarantee when I was 39, I would be a very different person if Jesus wasn't in my life. And sometimes it's important for us to just take a moment and go, God, I thank you because I don't even have a clue where I would be without you, but I don't even want to have a picture of what that would be like. In verse 47, it says these words. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same what? Loves little. Whoops. And it says, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. I realized this past week, and I posted it to the New Day board, and I appreciate all the answers that you gave. But I realize my love for God is not based upon, and I'm not diminishing anything. I know there's many different facets, but it's not based upon his goodness to me. It's not based upon my time with him and how sweet he is and how I love his presence. No, my my love for him is based upon, do I realize how much he forgave me of? please think about this because sometimes we think that this person is way worse or they have a greater, much more difficult past than me and so we think that our our heart was not as evil as theirs or our sin was not as bad as theirs and so what happens is he goes, you want to know why she loved me so much? Because she realized who she was without me. She realized all the sins that were piling up in her life and then she didn't stand a chance of ever paying back a debt to me and that's why she responded to the grace so much. And you want to know why, Justin, Justin, you want to know why your love begins to wane? Because you forget of who I delivered you from, which was you. Justin, if you just recognize that that's not who you are and this is the beauty thing about being a new creation is I can look back on my past and appreciate, man, where I would be without Christ and say, God, I'm so grateful, but I also can look now and go, I'm grateful that he made me brand new. So I don't look back on my past with shame with guilt with condemnation. I look back and go, "God man, you saved me and you made me new and you took me from somebody who was addicted to somebody who's not. And you took me from somebody that was living for self and now I get to live for you." Then what happens? My love starts to what? Starts to grow warm again toward him. If you feel like your love is waning, it's because you forget who rescued you and what he rescued you from. Take yourself back, not for an examination, not to go and be condemned, but to remember what he's done inside your life, to realize that it may be you and Hitler and you look at Hitler and go, "I I would never be that evil. Oh, I know, but if you would realize the Pharisee thought the same thing. Oh, look at her, she's a... And he didn't realize his own heart. He didn't realize that we we judge others based upon a certain standard, but then when it comes to us, what do we do? We have a curve. Yeah, but Jesus understands why I feel that way about that person. And we start to now change the standards when there should be absolutely no standard except Christ and what he's done for them and what he's done for me. And so he said these very words. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven. It doesn't mean that somebody had little to be forgiven of. It means that they saw that they had little to be forgiven of. I have no shame of my past. I have no guilt or condemnation toward those thoughts. But man, when the Lord showed me this the past week, I just felt such joy to revisit that day when I was 17 years old and he rescued my life. And it was over time that he took me away from certain things that were destroying my mind and destroying my soul and giving me no purpose inside of life. And I was able to revisit that. And as I did, what happened in my life was love just started to rise. Of holy cow, God, I'm so in love with you because you met me there and you still meet me here today. And then he said to her, What liberating words for all of us to hear. Your sins are what? I just want to remind you this morning, your sins are forgiven. means that the debt that you owed God is clear. You owe God nothing. You don't owe him for your past. You don't owe him for what you've done. You don't owe him a better life. Or God, I'm going to make up for all the things I've done. You don't owe him anything. Except to what? Receive his forgiveness. I think that's one of the most powerful words that we could ever, ever hear from God. And extend to somebody else is what? You are forgiven. The debt has been clear and wiped out. In 1 John 2.12, I don't think it's going to be on the screen. He says, I write these things to you, my little children, because your sins are forgiven for what? His namesake. So why are your sins forgiven? For his his namesake. It's not for you. You're forgiven for his namesake. Acts 26.18 says, that, we, that God would open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God that they may receive what? Everybody say receive. receive. Forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And let me finish off with these last few passages. Uh, Luke seven forty nine, Nico. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this Who even forgives sins. And then he said to the woman. Your faith. Has saved you. Go in peace. What does that mean? Sometimes we think that our faith. Is what initiates something with God. And I know you've heard me say this many times. Faith is always responsive. Always. And God is always the initiator. So God is not waiting for you to make his move. God made his move, said you are forgiven. Now what's your move? To receive his forgiveness. So faith is responsive to two things. What God has said to me and what Jesus did for me. So I'm responding at 24 hours a day, I'm responding to two things. God, what did you say to me about this and about me? And Jesus, what did you do for me on the cross? Now I make my step. And I'm responding to that. So he says, your faith, your response to your sin and my presence meeting together and my forgiveness, your response has saved you. He said, go in what? Nothing missing, nothing broken between you and I. Go in peace. Now, think about this, please, as I, I close. As she went, she still has the same what? Reputation. Everybody knows her as the sinner. Every single person is still having the same conversations about this woman, but he said, go in peace. Go knowing that you and I, there's nothing broken, nothing missing between you and the Father. You have been saved. You have been forgiven. You have been justified. Now go go what go in peace going with a new identity that old person that old lady that showed up that day and pour, poured the perfume she's done she's gone she's dead that reputation that past is no more you have been forgiven now go and be someone brand new and that's why it says in Romans 5 it says therefore having been justified by faith we have what peace with god not peace of god we have peace with god Folks, please hear me. You, if you've been forgiven, you receive that forgiveness, you have complete and total peace with God. The God of the universe no longer has anything against you. There's no more debt that you owe him. There's no more law that you are supposed to fulfill to make sure you and him are good. No, it says that... Where'd it go, Nico? There's water. Dance like you're a wave. It says that... Therefore, having been justified, means cleared, in the courtroom of heaven, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you today in two things. Receive his forgiveness. Forgiveness from what? From who you are and who you used to be. Don't live in that past. Know that when you're forgiven, the debt has been cleared and canceled. But also, please, 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 when you receive it, it's so that you can extend it. It's so that you're able to forgive those who have done you wrong. Forgive those who did something that they shouldn't have done to you. Forgive those that were supposed to do something for you that they did not do. Forgive those who have treated somebody in your family wrong or stolen from you or did not give you an advantage or did something to take from you. Forgive those who violated you, maybe some ladies in this room, those who violated you, forgive. What does that mean? Release them. It's the power of releasing them from owing you anything. They don't owe you apology. They don't owe you, uh, 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 I'm going to make things right. They don't owe you any of that. It doesn't mean you reconcile. It just means that you release them. And the only way that you can do that is to know that when Jesus looks at you, he says, my son, my daughter, you are forgiven you are forgiven your debt is clear when you stand before God there's only peace and there's no well you did this and when are you going to make this right no you are forgiven when the, when the prodigal son was running back what did the father say to him repent stop 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 whoa whoa stop say you're sorry for taking my money And wasting it. No, what did the father do? (gasps) He's back. And he ran. And he hugged and he kissed him. Why? Because he forgave him already. It wasn't based upon his son saying his sorry script. It was based upon who he was to him. And we can receive that same love and that same nature from the father so that we're able to now freely give to anybody that has done us wrong I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And the emotions may not be always there, amen? I also love to use the illustration of an iron. You know when you iron some shirts, you plug it in and it gets real hot, right? When you unplug it, is it still hot? Forgiveness is unplugging it. The emotions come after it cools down. And Sometimes you're like, oh, I'm struggling to forgive. No, 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 just unplug it. Release them and the emotions will follow so you can now actually be free from that person. So Father, we just take a moment and recognize that we are a forgiven bunch in this room. We were all sinners. We are all going the wrong way. We are all living for self. We are all living in a life that would ultimately lead us to a a dist- p- place of destruction that none of us were good. None of us had it going on. None of us were special. None of us were the, the top dog. No, we were the, we were the de- de- despised. We were the ones who were weak. We were the ones that should not have been called, but you called us and you chose us, Father God. And we recognize that you met us right where we were and you rescued us, Father God. And you save us and you forgave us. Now, Father, all I pray is that as new creatures in Christ Jesus, as new creations, that we would go out and we would represent you and forgive those who have done us wrong, Father God. We would forgive those who have said things about us that they should never have said, where they touched us, where they never have, should have touched us, where they did things to us that were despicable. Father, we release those people in Jesus' mighty name. They no longer owe us a thing because, Father God, we have been freely forgiven by you. Give us the grace to walk this out. Give us the grace to unplug the iron so that we can live a life of complete and total freedom. Lord, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I don't want to rush the moment. We're going to sing one more song. And if there's someone in your heart that the Lord says, it's time. Just say these words and ask God for the grace. Father, I release so and so from anything that they owe me for what they have done to me. And I thank you that they are free from my expectations and they are free as you have freely forgiven me. We do the same toward them. So let's sing one more song. If you want to give into new day, there's many different ways. They won't be on the screen, I don't think, because there are going to be words. Yeah, there it is. You can give online. You can give at the chest or you can give with a text message. But don't let this moment pass you by without walking out of here. As somebody who receives all that you've been forgiven from so you can freely give it to somebody else. Ryan.